I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, welcome to the Out of Spec podcast. We are back this week with many interesting stories, um, including, well, a bit of teaser on Kyle's work with the new Nissan Frontier, the finally newly redesigned. Um, Also talking about Cybertruck and its lack of door handles, um, Toyota Land Cruiser parts that are being re-brought to production, and um, Tesla giving away its top advantage, the supercharger network. But first, I wanted to talk about what we've been driving. I know we've kind of, multiple of us have been on road trips lately. So, um, Mike, have you guys had the e-tron out? Yeah, so uh, yesterday, Ben and I uh, were both free, so we did not work yesterday. And uh, we decided to take an impromptu trip out to the uh, Outer Banks in North Carolina. Now, we live in Raleigh, so the Outer Banks are about four hours away. Uh, maybe a little less, um, approximately, but we went out to um, kind of near like the Nags Head, Kitty Hawk area, and then went north from there. Ben probably has a better idea of what the towns are called because mm-hmm. he's been out there multiple times and I'm not. But I know Kitty Hawk was close to the area where we were in, um, which is where the Wright brothers flew the first plane. So that was fun. Yeah, and keeping the, the <laughs> and keeping the theme of like light forms of transportation, we drove the e-tron, which weighs about yep. a bajillion pounds. And uh, I really just felt like I wanted to drive on the beach. That was kind of all. I said I want to go drive on the beach, and so that's just a reason for a twelve-hour run, twelve hours of driving or something like that after charging. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we took the e-tron because of the fact you can drive on the beach for about 12 miles um, mm-hmm. out there in part of the Outer Banks. And that section, it's kind of just open as a highway. Um, as yeah. long as you have four-wheel drive. Maps. 
Wow. They even have, uh, as you get closer, they even have like air down stations. So you can air your tires down for the sand. Uh, it's pretty cool. I've never done that. I've never driven out on a beach. You Even down in Florida, I know in Daytona Beach, you can drive out on the beach in certain other areas, I'm sure. Uh, I've never personally done it, but it was fun. And the e-tron is really good at it, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah. It's got a good charging curve. I mean, yeah, how was... How often did you charge it? We uh, we had a stop in Rocky Mount, which is not far from where we are. That's like 30, it's probably 45 minutes away into the trip. And we topped off. And then we had to go to this slow, it's in this photo here we're seeing now, a slow uh, 50 kilowatt, well, it's a 62 kilowatt um, charge point unit that was kind of in the middle of nowhere because that's the only thing on the route. Because <laughs> um, where we went, there was like no fast charging. There's something kind of, 100 miles south or whatever, 50, 60 miles south um, on the Outer Banks, which is sort of a little bit of land outside the edge of North Carolina in the ocean. And uh, so we kind of didn't want to go there. So we had to stop here and charge for like almost, not an hour, but probably like 30, 40 minutes, I think. So we had to get uh, all the way full. Yeah, so we charged two full at the EA station in Rocky Mountain. That didn't take very much time. And then from there, we just drove right on out to this charger, which is about 110, 114 miles uh, away from Rocky Mount. So mm -hmm. by the time we'd gotten there, we actually had, I think we still had around 50% battery. Uh, it was pretty efficient drive. It was not raining at the time. It was raining on the way back, which is where this picture was taken, which is why everything's all wet. But it looks cool because it's at night and shiny. Yeah. Um, and this charger is at a McDonald's and then behind... Uh, me taking this photo is a Walmart as well. <laughs> Very interesting Walmart. Yeah, we got carded because we bought a shovel in case we got stuck yep. on the beach. That's a restricted <laughs> item at Walmart, as it turns out. You have to be 16 or older to buy a shovel. Not a special entity, just a shovel. And the lady said, well, you know how them kids be doing? And I was like, what, digging holes? Like, what are they? <laughs> yeah. well, I don't know. Like, maybe it's a rural area thing. And, it like, can just rural. get around and dig holes in farms. or something. I have no idea. It just seemed really odd. Uh, but the whole kind of neat thing about going out to, it was Corolla Beach, uh, North Carolina, uh, just north of Duck, North Carolina. Great names, by the way. Um, was that there's... Uh, a neighborhood or like part of the city is only accessible by beach. So you there, there's probably 200 homes or something like that, that are the only way to get to them is you drive off the road onto the beach and up the beach. And then there's uh, it's like neighborhoods connected by sand roads and stuff like that. Um, and they've got like wild horses. I kind of wanted to see some of those. And we did see that. Um, so it's kind of a cool place to go. It's a neat little pre overlanding trip in the Audi getting ready for the, the future uh, Rivian plans. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. A Rivian on the beach would be ideal. Oh, you could fly. We didn't have the ground clearance in the e-tron. <laughs> I think it's only like eight and a half when you raise it up and uh, you don't have enough compression to kind of like fly over some of the yeah. rougher stuff. You have to kind of yeah. just, you know, crawl, but you go like 10, 15, but you'd probably do like 50 <laughs> in the Rivian. Nice. I think uh, overall, at the end of the trip, it was about 500 miles round trip, uh, driving there, back, and whatever it was that we drove out there. The e-tron averaged around 410 uh, watt hours a mile. Just thirsty. 
Yeah, and a lot of the off-roading, I mean, you're just on the power. There's no regen up there. I think down at a 50% battery by the time we were on the beach and came back, it was estimating we had like 60 miles of range. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it said we are going to have like 50 miles of range, and then after driving for like two miles, it shot up to 120 or something. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's just soft sand. You know, the photos we all took were on that hard pack stuff because we didn't want to stop on the really soft stuff, which is kind of deep and you know, loose. Um, but on that stuff, it was just like, I was at 30% power on the power meter just to move along, you know, without losing speed. Wow. We, um, we did take some video shots and we might be putting together a, like a quick video to throw on the uh, out of spec YouTube channel about the trip. Uh, if we have enough content to make like an actual good size video, we'll see the mm-hmm. weather wasn't the most cooperative <laughs> for the trip. It started raining. Um, so it kind of put a little bit of a damper on trying to get some of those, you know, longer shots, but I think we have a little bit of something. And if it's not, if we don't put on YouTube, I will be posting them to my Twitter account, uh, M underscore breathing. So there you go. Sweet. Well, it sounds more exciting than mine. I mean, uh, right after last week's podcast, I drove back through Kansas to Missouri. <laughs> so the flat is, <laughs> uh, you know, could have been better. Um, but it was in my Miata, which was a lot of fun. And I did actually, I didn't really get enough for a video kind of like yours. Maybe, um, maybe I did. I don't know. Yeah, it'd be close. I think I basically, I was, there's nothing really to film there, but I was like, I have all these (laughs) stuff there. I know what you're talking about. Cause I have a 10 gallon gas tank. So it's like, okay, I could, (laughs) I'm stopping a lot for fuel. So I did a bunch of MPG tests with you know consistent conditions because it's 70 miles an hour through kansas um or 75 and so i did like i was like okay what's what's the difference between top down top down windows up top down windows up ac top up ac like i I did every single thing (laughs) and um because i was curious and it it turns out that top up with ac is more efficient than top down so you know (laughs) Who knew? Well, there you go. I, I, I can believe top that. Tip. That makes sense. Yeah. Top, literally in. top tip. Yep. <laughs> so that's uh yeah. And then Kyle um, could not join us because he is out with the new frontier, which I'm still figuring out how I feel about the design, but I guess it matches um, Nissan design ethos and language right now. Um, but he's ethos design and like (laughs) it's yeah a lot of trucks have gone to this boxy square front Mm -hmm. end i actually think the frontier wears it really well better than the new tundra which i'm not a particular fan of i just think the proportions on this truck look a lot better yeah Um, especially in this green everybody has a green now and this is a really good one it's fantastic. Uh, so Can this I make is an a... unpopular opinion on this? I feel like this is the first truck I don't like, or the first vehicle I don't like green on. I don't know why. I think I would like it in like a deserty sand color or something. Uh-huh. Or is that just me? <laughs> I, I think it I looks don't... really cool. It's just kind of. I think the sand like hidden a desert in the dark would look good too. But this, I like the this green. Is, <laughs> this is a stunning green in person. So yeah, this is a pre-production prototype so he's been driving it off road um you know they tell us not to break it because there literally aren't parts so (laughs) um 
and he was actually at ikea tonight so that's his excuse for not coming so well i guess we'll see how well this truck handles ikea trips probably just fine um, that's an important had, test for a mid-sized truck yeah <laughs> a couple of months ago i had the pre-production pathfinder in the same color green and it was a looker i mean this the green is phenomenal in person but yeah i don't know it's at least they're staying relatively consistent with their styling. And I, I like seeing an improvement. Like um, when I lived in Texas, me and Austin's dad came down and rented a 2016 Frontier. I thought it was a 2005 Frontier. I mean, it looks <laughs> the exact same. And I got yeah. inside, still thought it was 2005. It still had a cassette. So, you know, <laughs> why? Um, so I'm glad to see they're, they're updating it. But yeah um i wanted to oh yeah they're about... way overdue i mean yeah That's i think the I... first like the frontier that we all know came out in like 20 or 2004 mm-hmm. so it's been the same truck till then and then in 2021 or 2020 you could actually get the 3.8 liter yeah which is in the new one but it was in the old body so yep. <laughs> it still was the same old truck for the most part underneath but that's, I think, why people love them. They're just extremely reliable. There's parts everywhere. They're capable. And they're just bare bones for the most part. They don't have any a lot of that fancy equipment that now they do, which is fine. It's, they need it. It needs an update. Yeah. What's the deal, Nissan? The 350Z yeah, was the Typical same Nissan fashion. They would put <laughs> yeah. out a good, a good car when it comes out, but then they're like, you know, we'll leave that in production for a little over a decade and see how it does. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say the Frontier from the A-pillar back looks exactly like a Tacoma. I, I yep. If you showed me the A-pillar back on both those vehicles, I probably couldn't tell them apart. Yep. Not a bad I'm not sure I could tell the difference between any pickup truck A pillar back. That's <laughs> where <laughs> they're well, all the same generally. The the rear flare <laughs> looked a lot like the rear flare uh, on a Tacoma, along with like this the proportions and the doors and even the color. But I mean it's not a bad thing. Like you said, a lot of mid-sized trucks kind of have that like they want them to look like one of the pre-runner you know, trucks. You know what looks different from the A pillar back? Tesla Cybertruck. Yeah, it does. <laughs> let's, does. Let's talk nice about... segue. Yeah, nice segue. There, uh, let's talk about Tesla Cybertruck. So we all saw the unveiling um, with the door handles that look kind of Model-esque, Model S-esque, where they just kind of pop out. Um, and now Elon's saying there's not going to be door handles, which I want to get your thoughts on because it seems like a lot of manufacturers are playing with door handle usefulness or design i mean i get it like when you design a car like most prototype cars from the past two decades five decades whatever don't have door handles or they're just invisible because it's not visually appealing um so elon tried to counter that with the model s by making them flush when not in use um and then same with model three just a different kind of flush and so i kind of get where that's coming from um, but then there's like the Mustang Mach-E with not really even door handles, just the little push button things. And the front doors have the weird little pull tab, which is, I mean, that's the best way you can describe it. It's the weirdest <laughs> thing ever. And I genuinely don't it, like it. It looks awkward to use. I've used it once and I was like, maybe you'd get used to it. I've seen people who did like a, 
you know, 4,000 mile review of having it for like a couple months. And it, they all seem to like, it looks really fiddly. I don't <laughs> mind a door handle change, but I don't want it to just, I don't want to look like I have no idea what I'm doing every time I get into the car. <laughs> ben, I'd like your input on this because working at Tesla in the past, I personally like the Model 3 and the Model Y door handles the best. Um, I didn't like the S because they broke a lot. The retractable door <laughs> handles. They went through like in my time there, I think they were on the fourth or fifth iteration of yeah. the pop out door oh, handles. And so there was just the fourth generation door handles pretty good. Yeah. So and I just I don't know. It's cool, it's very cool, but I actually really like the design of the Model 3 where you push in with the thumb and then you grab with the other four fingers to me. It's very ergonomic. And the self-presenting feature on the Model X was actually something that when I would be driving a Model X around. I thought it was kind of cool, but it wasn't something I necessarily loved. Um, I don't know why I like to open the door myself. I don't know. Ben, I have yeah, very strong opinions on door handles if you've got time. Yeah, I, I want to hear you because as a previous Model X owner as well, the Model X door handle itself was actually probably my least favorite too. I didn't like that it was like a button that you had to push. Personally, that is my least favorite of the three. Um, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts and opinions on mm -hmm. um, Elon saying no more door handles. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to just start with, uh, so I've had every Tesla door handle design uh, they've built, which is three. Uh, so it's not a whole lot, but if for whatever reason, they did a, did a new one every car. So uh, the Model S ones, I think I'm with you, are probably... My least favorite, I think the execution is cool, the pop-out, the, the way they work is cool, and the experience they provide is very neat. However, I don't like waiting on something to be able to provide my action. So, like, I, you have to wait for the handle to come out, or you have to pull it and then wait for that mechanical action to trigger the electronic uh, latch on the door. Whereas the Model 3... All you have to do is pull the handle, which hits the electronic release. So there's no like interim step of it preparing itself or getting into the right position, which is someone like me who gets impatient after 0.6 of nanosecond. I, I appreciate that um, quite a bit. Um, but the Model X might have been my favorite, though, after like a year and a half of not having to do it. I kind of missed it when I got the three, like the just... I thought they did a pretty good job with the self-presenting door. I didn't truthfully mind hitting, you know, like if you had a car without premium packs, you have to press in on that door handle button and then it opens up. Um, I didn't mind that, but I don't, I think it would have changed my, my love of the car if it didn't have that package. Cause I think, you know, just the whole walk up, walk away, never touch the door. Like it was just like going to the grocery store. This door is power open and they, they power shut. And if you walked up to a grocery store with your hands full stuff on the way out, It'd be weird if that door didn't open. That kind of just felt like that after a couple months of the Model X. Um, so I'm open to not having to deal with door handles. I would pay money to have self-presenting doors on the three. Um, you know, even in a tight garage, we didn't really run into issues. Although one time it did just go and jump into Kyle's Model S door. But it was kind of funny when it happened. So, you know, it didn't really bother us. But it might bother someone else. But it was a one-time thing, thankfully. So I guess that's part of what elon is saying he says no door handles the car recognizes you and opens the door so cybertruck's taking that same approach it sounds like mm -hmm. um, if it's self-presenting i think it could be good if it's like yeah. the mach e where if you just walk up and it pops open that you know little bit yeah that would be the worst thing like in the world i'd have a door handle at that point 
<laughs> yeah, and it's what's weird with Mach E is like only the front doors have the little pull tabs. The back door pops you just open the stick same it in way. The jam. It's yeah, weird. the back door it pops open the same way, like an inch, and then you have to slide your hand behind the door, which seems scary to me, especially if you've got little kids <laughs> who are just jacking around and bumping the door and slams someone else's fingers in the door. Uh, but it's funny because the back door actually has rubber, like where you're supposed to grab it to open it <laughs> behind the door. So I, <laughs> and they give the you a grip. Thing. Yeah, they give you a grip instead Only on the of back door, though. a pull tab and only on the back door. It's huh. that's so strange. <laughs> it's just a what was wrong with like the ID4 has the like just for Yeah, mm -hmm. the ID4 door handles, I think, are a good example of like the touch door handles, but you still know where you're grabbing. It still looks like a traditional door handle, but they're pretty sleek against the car too. Mm -hmm. I personally, I mean, I had a Model S. I like the idea of those presenting door handles. I think they're cool. I thought they would work really well on the Cybertruck. I don't know about this door just popping open. I do feel like it is going to be like Maki. It's just going to pop open, then you're just going to have to open it the rest of the yeah. way. Now, if it isn't, if the front doors are fully self-presenting and the back doors just pop open... I think that would be a lot better. But then again, if they fully mm -hmm. self-open into another car with pure metal on the side, you're probably going to damage a lot of cars. I, yeah, I, I feel like... cyber truck door. Yeah. Yeah. I see these like linear door dings on every other car in the parking lot. <laughs> oh, Cybertruck, but that one. But I think as long as... I think my metric for the door handle is the thunderstorm test. Cause at least here in North Carolina, and I know some other States get it, but we get it in Florida, any kind of subtropical kind of humid climate, you get these rainstorms where it's just the raindrops are massive for whatever reason. And it's just out of nowhere, biggest rainstorm you could ever have. It's like a hurricane all of a sudden. And I want to be able to run to a car, open a door and anything that interrupts that process and makes me get wetter is bad. If it, if, <laughs> It, it it has to at least meet a standard door handle. Otherwise, what are we doing here? I'm I'm just impatient now and wet, which is twice as bad. In the in the same uh, I guess strain is that because I agree. I think if the door pops all the way open, that's one thing. How do you think that would look in Tesla's theme of not providing a key for the car? Because that was one thing I did enjoy about the Model X is you had the key that you could open all the doors with, um, and I I could see how that oh, yeah. would be frustrating if you didn't have a key if your phone was the the source of the self-presenting door and because in, in the very least if you didn't know if you're walking up to a model x you can double click on the uh top of the remote and it would open that uh, driver's side door mm -hmm. if you had that setting turned on yeah. and you could kind of do that if it didn't recognize you or if your phone was dead um you had that availability to pop that door open in preparation if it's pouring rain or you're being and you could double click it again it. and it would get the passenger it would side, get the passenger which is and you if you have people wings. who aren't yeah. familiar with the car you just the doors are open exactly. when you get to it if you want a lot of people didn't realize every door in the model x could be open with just the key fob which is really cool yeah. but mm -hmm. i could see that being a nuisance if you had to rely on your phone for that if they kind of kept with the trend of not giving keys out which i agree for like for the model 3 and the model y i think it works just fine but uh, I think taking door handles away, and if they did go with the the full like Model X style door with auto presenting, I could see that being interesting too. But I don't know. To me, the yoke style steering wheel and the Plaid Model S has kind of shown that Tesla may not care about some inconvenience for what you're used to. Um, so yeah, I'd be I'd be really interested 
interested to see the choices they made with the Cybertruck because the Cybertruck gets that, I think the MO operating kind of method that they take is every new model has to have something different that's immediately no, identifiable or recognizable, distinguishable. Yeah. Like you had the S, the door handles were the immediate thing you would notice in that car. It's very user experience related. Model X, the doors are another thing where they did that. And they had that big windshield and the Falcon wing doors. And, and I felt like Model 3 had a similar thing where, okay, we've got a new type door handle, so that's an immediate interaction that's different. Then we have that single screen, that air blade, which I think doesn't get talked about very much, but I think it's a very novel and clever idea. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that sort of a thing. Uh, and, you know, the glass roof of the Model 3 isn't groundbreaking, but for a lot of people in that segment, it's pretty unique to see. So it feels like every car needs No that. grill, too. The Model 3 was the first Tesla to have no grill, just mm -hmm. flat bumper. And I, I thought mean, that Model was X, pretty... Model X is that way. That hole where the Tesla logo basically was... Not yeah, they, they had the little, I guess, the, the S hat at that time, too. But I just yeah. thought that was interesting because it was just blank no air inlets i mean there was an air inlet at the bottom but mm -hmm. before you had the little little divot where that the tesla yeah. t would go and the model 3 was just very sleek front end so yeah i i think it's yeah it's very true they like to mix it up for each car to make it a different tactile feel depending on model but um some have worked better than others for sure <laughs> yeah I, I'm, I'm curious to see what they do with these door handles on the x we're not door handles i guess they're not doing that but the the, the system because oh man i really hope it's at least as good as what the x did on cybertruck otherwise i'm going to be i mean i don't really want a cybertruck personally i think it's a cool product but like it's not like I will. I was gonna buy one anyway. So what does it matter? But I think like I'd like to see them not do a yoke thing. I'd like to see them do something where they can say, "Look, we did this differently because these reasons, and here's why it is going to be better. Here's why you're gonna love it." Rather than we did this differently, and the good news is that it's not that much worse or something. You know, like I don't want to have to have a justification for it almost. I think Rivian has great door handles. Just saying. <laughs> I don't know. What they look like. I don't think even think I looked at them. I have no idea. <laughs> I think they're door handles that work. <laughs> yeah. The, no controversy. Tesla, seems, Tesla, like the yoke steering wheel door handles, like Tesla's trying to fix a lot of things that no one's really complained about. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Like, it's the opposite of don't fix it if it ain't broke. It's like. <laughs> um, is it, is it working yet? Yeah, we should reinvent that then. Yeah. I got an idea. <laughs> it's like I Apple, mean, it's you know? Not just a, it's not to get great products. Like, I can't fall to that, you know, I don't know, in innovative spirit. But at times, like, there are some discussions that might need to happen that aren't happening. Like, someone should stand up to probably Elon Musk at times more who needs to be stood up to about, like, maybe we should offer the regular steering wheel. Right now, obviously, we're sold out of these cars. But when that changes... When we catch up on production, are we losing buyers because of that? I mean, it's generated a lot of buzz. I think you're going to get more buyers who are like, oh, that's cool. But then that other section who's feeling left out is eventually going to also potentially want to buy the product. So as long as they don't do that with whatever they're doing with the doors and Cybertruck, I think they'll be fine. But you never know. It is Tesla. Yeah. Let's talk about Toyota Land Cruiser. Um, so the Toyota Land Cruiser 40, is that what it's called? The 40 series um, was a big hit. And Toyota has decided to 
recreate parts, including the engines, like almost like as new, which is awesome. Um, Mazda did this a few years back and is still doing it for the first gen oh. Miata. Um, so I thought this was really interesting and I, I wonder if other manufacturers will follow suit because they're starting to realize the like iconic nature of some of their previous models. Um, and they want to cater to the, the diehard enthusiast. It's almost like a cult following of some of these cars. Um, and I love seeing this. It seems like the brand is showing like it may be a marketing room, whatever PR move. It's still the brand showing interest and supporting the people who have supported them before. Um, what do you guys think of this? I think it's a good idea. I've, I, I've seen this. I know Mercedes is doing this with some of their like older SLs. Porsche has been doing a lot on the Porsche classic side of things, not only reproducing parts like Toyota is doing here, but they are now starting to sell uh, accessories and retrofits for those classic cars to allow you to bring them up to date. Like if you had a uh, classic, you know, like a 70s Porsche, they have a, a radio. It's you know this big fits the original socket with a screen about this big that has Apple CarPlay support, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> it's smaller than your phone, which is kind of amusing, but they, they're doing stuff like that. And I think Toyota Land Cruiser, I mean, that's a, a thing you see just driving around. You know, why not continue to support those products? At least make money off of it. Yeah, I mean, it's probably safe to say that 90% of Land Cruisers from that time are probably still on the road. So why not give them parts for maintenance? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think business-wise, it's solid. I mean, you look at, you know, we had mentioned Mazda. They've been doing it with the NA Miata for a while. Uh, Mercedes, Porsche, and um, who else? There's someone else out there who's doing it, too, that I was just going to mention. Now it's fleeting with this. I just saw this chat thing over the side, and it distracted me. Um, but I think business-wise, it's a great idea. I mean, you can provide your customers directly with a factory Toyota part that's not, you know, already 60 years old or refab from a third party company. And you can charge more for it for the fact that you're selling it as a Toyota part. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're going to certainly draw more business. It's probably molds or, or what, what have you that they already have from the past. So it's probably doesn't take a whole lot of cost to get those parts created. And they, yeah, they can charge a killing for that because it's OEM and people yeah. who are doing those restorations, they want a lot of things to be as OEM as possible because people just mm -hmm. want it like it was when it rolled off the showroom floor 20, 30 years ago. So yeah, I think it's really interesting and very cool. I know Porsche has been doing that for a while and I feel like they've almost been the benchmark of that because they they do care so much about what their um what the owners of the classic Porsches um are doing. And yeah, I just think it's cool. And yeah, the article also includes a few other older cars, which is really cool to see. Mm -hmm. I think um who else is doing it? There's J uh, Jaguar is doing it and Aston Martin. I yep. think both are doing that. Um although I don't know how much of this is cheap because they tooling is still available because the tooling generally gets worn out during a production run so typically they retire it because it's no longer the tolerances aren't there so at least when it came to um jlr's kind of factory restoration and classic part support um i learned from some i i should say i have it on good authority that some of that stuff they brought back was incredibly expensive to do and hmm. in certain cases probably was not profitable but was kind of they thought worth it for long term 
brand recognition to see those cars still on the road to support those owners and you know keep your you want to keep your big customers your whales happy because um, you want them to buy your new product too yeah it looks like they're also going to be doing older supermodels in the 2000 gt which is super cool so it mm-hmm. seems like this is a potentially long-term plan for toyota as their previous models grow in popularity they'll probably start adopting this and i wonder if they had you know i wonder if clubs or various groups have reached out to toyota asking for this um you know it may have just been they realized the popularity and went with it but i also wonder if there is any aspect of basically customers requesting it um because yeah they they a lot of these customers value these vehicles and they will pay a good amount of money especially if it's from you know the mothership where it's like they know it's done right and to spec instead of like going somewhere else aftermarket which theoretically would be fine that's what a lot of people have resorted to um but yeah oh yeah for years yeah i mean it's definitely a, a good idea and i think just them expanding it to other cars in the range i mean i'm sure We'll hear about it coming to, you know, the Mark IV Supra eventually, you know, those parts are probably still pretty prevalent, but I think eventually you'll start hearing that out there, you know, so, and I think other manufacturers will start following suit. I mean, I I don't know, Volkswagen may already do something with an old Beetle, Um, you know, they might already offer a similar program or the thing or yeah, they're niche cars. Yeah. The first gen gti second gen gti's were huge hits and you know that people are definitely collected those cars and i've kept them on the road using uh probably aftermarket parts unless volkswagen still makes them i don't know um but volkswagen being another very large automaker they could easily get into a program like that especially if a tiny automaker like jaguar or aston martin can do that yeah well to bring the conversation back to tesla again because for some reason they just keep making headlines uh, i wanted to talk about um probably one of some of the biggest news lately which is tesla essentially opening up the idea of opening up the supercharger network to other people um i mean you guys are slash no tesla owners and i'd be curious to see what already seems to be kind of a mixed reaction um of a people who use the supercharger network how they'd feel about it being relatively bogged down with other evs but there's the other side of like this does open up some competition and hopefully things like electri america and others would up their game because they want the business yeah so i totally get both sides of the conversation uh being a former Tesla owner and we have a Model 3 here, I understand on a road trip, you can go to a supercharger station and I have waited. I've had to wait for a stall to open up because there's just not enough, at least along the East Coast, the supercharger stations I've gone to. But on the other side of the coin, for the greater good, the greater expansion of electric cars, making them more ubiquitous, just selling more of them, I think you need to have more charging. And since Tesla is so far ahead of everyone else with the just the sheer amount of stations and chargers out there, that is what I look forward to. That is why I think it should happen. 
Uh, Tesla can charge a premium if they want to, because generally when you will only go to a supercharger if you're on a road trip. It's not going to be something that I'm going to bring my e-tron to every week. I mean, I, I don't even go to an EA station, but maybe once every couple months. So I wouldn't picture ever trying to use a Tesla charger, but it'd be nice to know that, hey, if I needed to go on a road trip and I get somewhere and the EA station isn't working, oh, well, the Tesla station right over here down the road, I can just plug into there for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, top up to get on my way again. So I think it's a really, really good idea. And I would like to see it implemented. I don't know how it's going to work. I'm sure you'll be able to buy an adapter for your car that will read with the Tesla supercharger. But I think in order to expand adoption of EVs, you need it has to be done because Electrify America is not going to be able to support all of the new EVs coming to the market over the next five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, it certainly would have made our trip in the e-tron to the, the coast easier. Uh, there's two chargers that would have been much more direct and one right even out there we could yeah. have used. So that would have been a nice uh, improvement, I think. But I, 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 agree. I think, you know, I don't want to say if I'm pro or for it because it's not my business to run. So it, uh, that's truly what it is. If Tesla's doing it, they're doing it for a reason that they think makes sense and they're going to do it. So not that we have any say in it, but I think the the downside obviously is, I mean, let's say you, there's something like a Chevy Bolt, which charges at 55 kilowatts still for whatever reason, they not improve that. And I mean, that's a, that's a whole hour that car is sitting there charging and you know when another car might be able to go quicker so i'd like to see you know if, if this is providing more income to build more chargers that's that's fine by me at that point but uh you know having a car on both sides what i really want now is also an adapter so i can use a ccs charger with our model three because there are often times where a supercharger is less convenient or it's a v2 supercharger and i could be using a 350 kilowatt capable CCS charger along that route. So for me, I feel like it goes both ways. I want, I want it. I just wish I was in Europe where everything's the same plug and it did work. That'd make me really happy. <laughs> I just yeah, want everything I mean, to plug into everything. It's like when you get, <laughs> I think everyone gets this way when they get their first like USB-C device. And it's like, I want to plug in everything with this one cable and I'm going to try and make everything in my life the one cable and I never need any other cables. That's how I feel right now about EVs. I just want everything to plug into everything and I don't want to think about it. So as EV owners that own both Tesla and um, like e-tron, for example, how do you feel about the thought of a Tesla charger being available, but at a, like you said, they could charge a premium for it. Would that be something that would annoy you or would you be willing to pay that premium for the convenience? And um, kind of like you said, Mike, for the, further adoption of uh, EV uh, EVs to the market. Yeah, I mean, to. I personally would, um, because again, you're not generally going to be plugging in to a high powered supercharger or uh, just any electric car charger often. I mean, it's not good for the battery to do it all the time. And the only time you really should be doing it is when you're on a road trip. And I think paying I mean, I, wow. the charge point charger that we had been, do you remember how much that was per uh, kilowatt hour? 20, I think it was 27 cents a kilowatt hour, which is right on par with like what Tesla charges in our region. So let's say I were to plug my e-tron into a Tesla supercharger, but it was 
15, 20 cents more than that, I would still do it if it was convenient or if I needed it for sure. Mm -hmm. Because at the same time, it's still, it would still be less than filling up uh, a gas car as often. I mean, I'm sure it will add up quickly, but if it's convenient and it's a necessary evil to have right now, I would, I think it's worth it. I think of it like a gas station. I don't look for which gas station is cheaper than another. If I need it, I need it. And whatever's there is what I'm going to use. So some areas it's going to be, if you have a non-Tesla EV, some areas you're not going to need a Tesla charger, but you might be in one area or want to go somewhere where that's good. That's the only game in town and vice versa. And I think it's, it's more about filling out that coverage map because there's certainly areas where I can't take my Model 3. There's a track I'd love to go to about two hours south of here, but there's really nothing out there except for one like charge point 50 kilowatt CCS charger, which I can't actually use because I don't have an adapter for that. And there's places like we did in the Echon where we would certainly appreciate being able to use the supercharger that's already out there. Yeah, I, I see the negative comments and I understand them, but at the same time, it's like, I guess this is for the greater good mm-hmm. um, because of I the, do think they should charge it, more. I agree with that now that you've mentioned yeah. it. I think that's fair. I think that's what the, they will do. I mean, that's the perk of buying how, a Tesla, I guess. I mean, you, on Tesla's earning calls and when they do that, eventually I can just see their stock going up. Oh, we've made X number of millions of dollars off opening up our supercharger network. I mean, business wise, I think it makes sense. Um, and Tesla is still expanding their supercharger network and upgrading it all the time and adding more uh, stalls and more and more stalls. I mean, out in Las Vegas, I think they have like a 50 or 60 stall supercharger. Um, Mm -hmm. And most of the superchargers, the Tesla superchargers around here are probably what, eight, nine, maybe? Eight, eight Eight to 16. I think some of the biggest ones in our area are like 20. Oh, probably by Greensboro. I think that's a mm-hmm. big one out there. That's a big one. Um, yeah, but ultimately, yeah, <laughs> just to, I mean, think about all the electric cars that are announced and the brands that are going full electric by 2030 or 2035. You, you're going to need someplace to charge the car. And Tesla was pretty much the only manufacturer who invested in charging, not just the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Behind, and then Volkswagen had to basically yeah <laughs> and i, I, I think would, go ahead uh i was gonna say i'd be interested to see if if they did somehow implement a varied charging i mean so is it true that tests like some superchargers will charge more based on times of day that are higher use um mm-hmm. and i'd be i'd be curious to see if they expanded that to like take into account, you know, price per kilowatt hour, but also how long you're sitting there, which would basically punish Mach-E owners who are trying to charge from 80 to 100 and spending <laughs> an hour and a half there because that's how long <laughs> it takes. Like yeah. it, it would basically in- encourage people to use the parts of their battery pack that have optimal charging curves. And a lot of that is in, you know, to make it a he- healthier battery over long term. Um, so you wouldn't want to charge it past 80 all the time. And so mm-hmm. theoretically that would punish people for just sitting there soaking in 12 kilowatts at a supercharger 
Um, I don't know. I'd be curious to see if that if they pulled that off or. Well, they, it's funny that they now that you mention this, it feels like they should go back to that because that's what they were doing early days of paid supercharging. Is not every state you are allowed to bill per kilowatt hour because only a utility could charge for quantities of electricity. It was generally like a written law or regulation or something that prevented it. So in uh, much of the East Coast, uh, charging stations would be per minute. You pay per minute. Now it's per kilowatt hour. That's changed. But I feel like that would make sense, especially with slower EVs if you use it. That would incentivize people to kind of think about how they're charging in a timely manner. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I think coming from selling Teslas, that was a huge selling point is you had this massive charging network that you could say, hey, this is you, sure. you get access to this and nobody else. But I think with the added capital that they could get from opening the charging network up, they could expand that. And then another huge thing that there are some other solutions out there for it, some apps that have been created and, and programs that you can use to plan a trip. But nothing that I've seen, at least, is as good as a Tesla trip planner when you are going on a road trip using those Tesla superchargers. Um, and that, to me, is still a huge selling point because it's built into the car and you don't have to do any additional homework on your own. Um, so I still think there is a lot of selling points. And to your point, Mike, too, I think a huge thing that a lot of people don't think about is you don't charge at those very much. It's probably... 90, 95% of the time you're going to be charging at your house. So you're really not going to be affected a whole lot when you do it. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot more to be gained from them opening up the network, but I definitely can see how some Tesla owners would be pretty upset about it because there are some of those cars that can't charge very quickly. Or like you said, it's not uncommon in those really high traffic areas to have to wait to charge, which definitely adds a, a decent amount of time to a, to a road trip. Yeah. And more and more often, you're also seeing as well now at malls or grocery stores or even just downtown greens, like around in Raleigh, they have just public level two charging that's free. Uh, you might have to pay to get in the parking garage or they you can park on the street for free, plug in your car and charge, plug in your car into Whole Foods. Uh, our Target has a level two charger. So, I mean, you're going to see more of that, too, especially if there's more incentives for businesses to offer that type of charging. And even if it's not free, it's generally pretty inexpensive if you absolutely had to plug in. But the nice part is you can just plug in if it's free, charge while you're grocery shopping, come out in 45 minutes, and you would have gained some range, at least the range you would have used to get there. So it's a negligible loss, pretty much. Yep. I think uh, Kyle and I had a conversation about this. I think we've had that conversation many times. So we have a, a kind of a theory that we don't really think it's going to be profitable to do DC fast charging, uh, like on the scale of Electro America, because the costs of uh, energy, demand, like demand charges, when you pull that much power from the grid, the cost of the hardware, it's, it's pretty steep. And that's why I think Tesla has this advantage that they built this and they had other ways to help pay for it. Um, but I think what's going to be interesting to see is how this affects the greater charging network kind of approach. I think, you know, Tesla's paired their cost of doing the charging with the cars to an extent. You're paying for it one way or another. And, you know, EA doesn't have a method to do that. I think what we might end up seeing a little bit as a side, you know, bar to the, some of this charging opening up is 
uh, you know, like more infrastructure that is charging the destination or it's an attraction to this destination to make it more, you have to sink those costs into something because there's so much money that has to be spent just setting up a station. It's almost, um, you know, like a gas station doesn't make very much money on gas. Uh, they make it all in snacks, but at least gas pumps are pretty cheap to install by comparison, you know, a factor of, you know, three or four X for charging. Yeah, if they would open a craft coffee shop at every supercharger, like, <laughs> that's always been a dream of mine. It's like that's that's when I'll buy a Tesla. Is when there's more, especially through Kansas. I mean, if they had, <laughs> if they would just put up a supercharger with like a great coffee shop or something, people would like go to that one intentionally. Like they'd skip all the other really boring ones and boring places. So, is this the return of tourist traps? <laughs> EV charging, <laughs> EV charging. Trip. Every EV charging like hub will have some sort of like, you know, like stick that it, it you know everyone comes there for. Oh, the that's the one with the crazy big waffles or something. Yeah, the world's largest thermometer at this Electrify <laughs> America station in Illinois. They'll all have the it. world's largest something or the world's littlest. <laughs> but I do think having chargers at like you know test superchargers and EA are both part at gas stations like sheets like that's just a strong idea like i that's how it should be get more gas mm -hmm. stations should just install a couple uh electric car charging areas uh just to bring in extra business in reality yeah well i want to talk about um speaking of companies who charge for things uh so th this is so not exactly is a bit of yeah. a read for that segue. my the segue made more sense in my head so the logic the logic in my head was which company are we going to here i mean there's only a few that charge for things so the this article struck struck me sideways because like tesla you know they had heated seat components in the seats but it left it turned off and then if you paid for the feature it would be turned on um, so the hardware is already there it's just software that was limiting it um, and with mercedes the, now this is specific to germany which is interesting um, mercedes has rear wheel steering which is cool and we get that in the u.s but in germany it's like a little bit of rear wheel steering and then it can be expanded to like a full 10 degrees uh, for $575. And so it's kind of, that's like really interesting to me. Um, and I wanted to see what you think, I guess in, in general with this whole concept of like, it, you know, it makes sense like keeping certain things out um, because you have to have like, I don't know. You have to make money somewhere and this is a mm -hmm. way to increase margins. And it does, you know, part of the argument is you don't want to like, why pay for something if you're not going to use it? So what do you think? I, I have a parallel to this. Again, we can't seem to escape Tesla on the EV tangent <laughs> podcast, but uh, model S and X, they had a 60 and a 70 kilowatt. Well, I, I hesitate to say kilowatt hour battery because they weren't really the exact number on the back, but they had a, oh, what yeah, they called a right. 60 and a 75. And the 60, uh, the second generation of the 60 on the refreshed facelifted cars was the 75 battery pack with a software limit 
And they really ended up doing that because it was more cost effective than having two separate battery packs of two different sizes. It was cheaper to just make them all 75s and limit it by software. And so I know some people are like, well, I already have this, and it's kind of crazy that I have to pay extra for something that's already in my car, when the reality also is that to not do it that way and to give you a physically smaller battery, it would have made your base model cost more. And so I kind of wonder, you know, some of this software as a purchase or feature as a purchase that we'll be seeing is uh, probably going to be minimizing the complexity of production. And on the other side of it, there's definitely going to be some, not price gouging, but it's going to be a, a, a notable source of revenue potentially for some of these makers. So I, I think we're probably going to win some and lose some on this, the consumer, but, you know, you still have the choice, you know, it's up front. It's not like a surprise. It's like, you know, if it was, you got to, you know, if they kept it kind of hush hush, you get six months of premium data connectivity on your car. And then that's also tied to your steering wheel, your rear steering. Then that might be a little more of a shock to people, but I think it's kind of up front. So yeah, yeah, I think that the was company, the, please. <laughs> that was the interesting part about the Tesla because I remember because we sold some cars as 60s and then we're like, hey, you can get a 75, you can get this much extra range and this much more performance. And I think it was only like three thousand dollars to upgrade. Oh wow! Um, and the issue for a lot of people was the lack of transparency because when they bought it as a 60, they didn't realize that it was a software limited 75. Um, <laughs> I personally think that the companies can do whatever they want. It's their product. And when you bought it, you you buying something is pretty much you giving money for the an uh, agreement for the, the thing that you were told that you're buying. So it's kind of a, it's an agreement with you paying them money for the thing that was outlined when you were buying it, even if it has some additional features. If you weren't aware of them when you bought it, like you shouldn't be upset. You You pay the money for it. So yeah. uh, I think they can do whatever they want, but I, I think, like you said, Ben, a lot of it has to do with the transparency and Mercedes being very upfront about it. I think is is just fine. It's it's funny because, like, I feel like I saw the headline, and even back when I saw that, like Tesla had heated seats that were just disabled, it annoyed me. But the more I think about it, the more I actually like this because certain features, including even heated seats, maybe um, you might buy it without it because you think maybe I don't need this. And then later down the road, you could be like, actually, you know what? I live in a cold climate. I would love heated seats. And instead of mm -hmm. going in and putting in different hardware and spending way more money, you just buy it as a, just turn it on like a simple add on, almost like downloading an app. Yeah. Um, so I, I like that concept. So yeah, it's like I initially started out annoyed and now I'm like actually appreciating this concept. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I kind kind of agree. Going back around to what Ben had mentioned before, but even like looking at it from the car manufacturer's perspective, they don't need to make two different seats or two different steering wheels or two different sets of headlights on a car. Like I know on my Audi, I can pay to upgrade my headlights software to be cornering. Uh, it's on the app and I can pay, I think it's $249 and it would download the software to the car and then I'd have upgraded headlights. So I think in that no case, it makes a lot of sense to do it that way. I get it. Like, it seems like, well, why do I buy a car that has these features if they're not unlocked from the consumer's perspective? But 
in the production line. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, we remember Elon talking about being in production hell and that it would probably be one of the reasons as to why, because you have to make this X number of different materials or seats or speakers for the car uh, when you can just make one and then just make it software eligible to turn yeah. it on or off. And, and to that same point, if you're a consumer who isn't interested in an item, I rather have the option to not purchase it for cheaper um, than be forced to buy the, the, more loaded out option where I wouldn't use all those capabilities. Cause if that's your only option where they're only making them with heated seats and you don't care about heated seats, I rather just not pay for the heated seats. Imagine mm-hmm. buying a Ford with a bang and a Lufsen sound system that was downgraded with audio tuning to make it sound worse and the logo is hidden. And then you're like, never mind, I want the premium on. <laughs> and they just click a button and it like suddenly is correctly tuned and everything. That that's like a horrible extreme to this. But. Well now I don't like the idea because you told me they've made some they've actively put time and energy <laughs> into making it worse. They're making it worse. I, I, All right, that I might have been a bad optimist thing. and assume that, that won't be the case. I I don't know if I would say this stuff is pro-consumer, but I mean, like heated seats is a simple example. You might live in Florida and then get a job offer in Minnesota. And then now you don't need to pay for a aftermarket one. That'd be terrible or buy a new car. There's, there's some kind of benefit there to a consumer. I think as long as, and I think we forget, you know, because we're looking at this as a hardware point of view, but when you look at it as a software development and tuning thing, uh, you know, They've had rear wheel steering in other cars, and so maybe some of that, you know, development cost and calibration into that extra turning degree, how that's going to work, you know, that costs them money. An app physically, you know, on your phone has zero dollars of BOM, bill of materials. There's no material cost to that app, except there was time and effort that went into it. So, you know, this is a way to maybe offer that to a wider audience as well. I mean, you, there's full self-driving is a similar example to this, and I, I don't see a ton of outrage about that. So, uh, and this is about what? Not even that's half. It's, it's way cheaper, you know, ten thousand dollars. Yeah, it's like five percent the cost. <laughs> I mean, if I could pay to put upgrade the lighting in my car to ambient lighting, like you get on the premium plus or prestige model, I definitely would. And I'm pretty sure the lighting is already in the car. Cause I've looked and I think I could see the little light tubes underneath the doors and everything. So I, in a case like that, for sure, like I would pay to pick which upgrades I want. And that could even trickle down into subsequent owners. I mean, you could, keep the car you bought as is because it's exactly how you wanted it and then sell it. And the next owner, if the company allowed this opportunity, which I don't see why they wouldn't because it'd be more money. Like it'd be like, it's a crazy concept. Cause like Ford could sell you an F-150 and then you sell the F-150 and Ford suddenly makes more money on that used car that would normally not give anything to Ford. Um, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's interesting. It, it opens so up a whole new can of worms. That is um, that is how the Audi works. So like if I were to upgrade the headlights, they stay with the car for the life of the car. So once somebody upgrades it, it always has it. That's awesome. So the next owner gets your benefit. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's in that case, that's a little more pro-consumer because the next owner doesn't have to repurchase it. You know, it's not like a subscription or something. 
That's well, it. And you can advertise your car. Yeah, and it's a value too. add for, your, for yep. you and selling mm-hmm. your car. And I think a lot of people buy cars. They're like, well, you know, they make a decision based off of resale value or perceived future value to selling it. Like you, people might get a towing hitch on a car and they're never going to tow anything, but they just think that because they're getting a big SUV or a truck, they should probably have it because the next person might. Or, uh, you know, there's probably certain features like that. There's probably a good laundry list, sound systems, probably on sunroof, whatever it might be. Um, so now as cars become more technologically advanced, maybe some of this is, uh, you know, people are going to care about that stuff in the same way we care about physical items previously. And, you know, having that adjustability, I mean, the amount of people who know you can get an upgrade to full self-driving and how that helps them feel confident buying a used Tesla that doesn't have it and how that affects resale value as a positive effect, I think is hard to measure, but I'm sure it's very positive overall. Well, we are really good at coming full circle because I want to quickly bring back a pickup the Nissan truck. Frontier. Oh, uh, <laughs> so very close. The, the Ford Maverick made huge <laughs> headlines because it's a $20,000 brand new pickup truck that does also give you 40 miles to the gallon because it's a hybrid. Um, and so, you know, that made headlines. Ford showed pictures. Of course, the photos they showed were like a Lariat model, like XLT, like typically medium to higher trims so we finally have an image or a few images of what the actual twenty thousand dollar spec would look like and let's just point out the elephant in the room those steelies though Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it looks just like a truck we had rented in the dominican republic same wheels i was just about to talk about that (laughs) yeah Uh, it's when i was in south africa i drove uh I don't remember what it was. They call them backies, which is like cheap, small pickup trucks that, you know, this is what we don't get in the U.S., the stuff like the Maverick that's kind of this smaller unibody construction. And I don't remember what it was. I'm pretty sure it was made in some, you know, Malaysian, India, kind of East Asian area country. And it looked a lot like this, actually. But I'm all for it. I think it's cool to have that. Oh, yeah, me too. I think it's great. I think this is the truck that suits the needs of most people that buy trucks, which... Is ironic because most people that buy trucks don't use them for truck things, which makes this perfect. And I saw in the article, kind of like what we talked about last week, how um, Ford is once again trying to corner a new part of the, the the market to try trucks out for the first time because it's about the same size as an SUV. It gets great fuel economy, but you also feel like you can like do lawn projects on the weekend or yeah. I don't know what else people think they do can do with trucks. Put a kayak in the back. I don't know. It yeah. makes you feel adventurous. Uh, and I, I think it's, it's great. I think it's so cool. It's funny you mention this. For whatever reason, my mother uh, feels the need to own a pickup truck. Exactly as of late. Yeah, she she's not a pickup truck buyer. She's had like a, her, she's got a Volvo now and she's had a Volvo before. She's never had any interest in a pickup truck, but she goes to the garden center and gets stuff for the yard and does a little gardening in her free time and stuff. And she, this is at $20,000. This is the same price range as something with like a hundred thousand mile F-150 or whatever you could be looking at. So there's a lot of people who this could be a third little runaround car to just have and do errands with. And I think there's a lot of room in that market these days. This is very present on my mind because right before this podcast, me and Austin's dad sent me a Facebook marketplace listing. (laughs) That that white F-150? Yeah, an F one fifty. Not even, <laughs> not even Super Crew, and it's twenty twelve, so almost ten years old. One hundred and fifty thousand miles for twenty thousand dollars. 
Yeah. And well, so, the like, truck market right now is crazy. It's absurd. Yeah, uh, in it's general. Absurd. So it that's and we'll see what happens with the market, but in theory, you could like buy one of these and then resell it for more. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> but like, well, Austin, I think they'll I, hold their value pretty well, to be honest. Yeah. And Austin, you know, introduced me to the concept of you put new wheels on a car, you completely change it. You buy this <laughs> truck for twenty thousand dollars, get wheels for a thousand fifteen hundred. It's a whole new, gorgeous looking. No, I mean, I wheels, steel, steel wheels are the best. I agree wheels like and that. tint, wheels and tint does it. Shout all. out to well, steel wheel sure. everything on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I, I would, I would keep the steelies and have the, those would be like my dedicated. Snow but you need tires. I would have aggressive, well, not too aggressive, but like off-road chunky tires because I'm pretty oh, sure yeah. that truck is only rear or front wheel drive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't think you can get a base one like that in four wheel drive with Maybe that motor. Not. But yeah. I think it would Still. make a fun a fun daily. So I I'm impartial to small Ford vehicles. I have a Fiesta ST, and the other motor <laughs> option for this, I believe, is the two liter turbocharged um, power plant that Ford has. So my thought is, I could go big turbo on the Fiesta ST. And then <laughs> still have a turbo Ford small vehicle runaround. I think it works great. Go big turbo on the Maverick. I'm great. sure yeah. there's a lot of businesses buying this too, because you think about all yep, these businesses sure. that own trucks that don't really need something that big, but they're doing it because <laughs> yeah. it's the option that's available to them. You know, because you know, there's uh, Tacomas are kind of a little bit hard to get um, from a business perspective. I don't think they make quite enough. Um, but you'll, there's no shortage of like Chevy work trucks, Ford work truck trim, whatever it is, the base models running around for different survey companies, landscaping, whatever it is. I think I think we're going to see a lot of that on the road. I think that's going to be a good seller for them. If and I, really... there's probably at least 5,000 more of my mother out there wanting to buy a <laughs> pickup truck for the three times a year they go and actually need it. But uh, that, I think that is really appealing as a little extra vehicle for that demographic because it's got a warranty and it's new. You know, that's that's something to be said for that as like peace of mind. You don't re most people don't need the full truck capability, like you said, and to get some of it with a low cost of entry is probably going to be a hybrid uh, a game changer. Thing. Yeah, people love get MPG to really come full circle. I actually see a lot of Nissan Frontiers because they're cheap and they're super easy to maintain as fleet vehicles for like you said companies that don't really need trucks so i could see the maverick kind of getting into the frontier market so yeah. nissan better watch out well yeah, <laughs> yep. nissan doesn't offer the four cylinder anymore it's just six cylinder yeah. or nothing so that's true that's i think the true. maverick is gonna take a lot of market share even away from like those little ford transit connect vans or the mm -hmm. nv cart little city yeah. cargo vans because CarQuest and uh, AutoZone, like they all have like little vans like that. Instead of a van, they're just gonna have a Maverick probably. They run parts around, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, I can see this being very useful on a farm just to like run stuff around. Although I guess if you're on a farm, you kind of could go heavy duty and find a transport still. Tractor. Kyle. But. Kyle does want to have a farm. He's he's looking at it. I think he's looking at <laughs> property pretty soon. So, oh, I'm sure he is. Yeah. We'll we'll see. Um, but yeah, keep an eye out on our platforms. Um, out of spec has YouTube. Uh, we'll be on, we're on Twitter. Um, the next week or so, the um, frontier TikTok. will have <laughs> yeah, even TikTok. Um, the next week or so, there'll be a lot of frontier content because embargoes lift soon, and we'll talk about driving dynamics mm -hmm. and pricing and all that. 
Um, I'm excited. I, even I occasionally use Twitter, Jordan underscore Schieffer. Um, <laughs> we've got Mike at M underscore Breeling. Ben is Benji underscore OOS. Austin doesn't know what Twitter is, but he is at Flywheel Films on the Instagram. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for a great show, gentlemen. And thanks for tuning in to the uh, Out of Spec podcast. And we'll yeah, see you next in time. the next one. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.